Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Time Out with Tim podcast. So I'm actually really looking forward to this episode today. I have on my friend Gabe. We actually went to high school together. We've known each other for a while, but we haven't really been kind of in touch or talking that much. So it's nice to kind of reconnect. Gabe, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. Um, yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is Gabe Feldman. I lead business development uh, at Viral Nation, one of the largest uh, influencer marketing agencies globally. So yeah, thanks again for having me, Tim. It's been a while since we last spoke, so I'm excited to um, catch up and, and talk social, business, whatever else you want to talk about. Yeah, seriously, man. So I'll give you guys a little intro on Gabe, uh, just from kind of how I know him. So we probably met in, yeah, probably grade nine. We we were closer friends definitely back then than we have been recently. Uh, but we've known each other for a while, and I know that Gabe's always been involved in all the social media stuff. He had a YouTube channel. We'll get into that stuff throughout the podcast. Uh, but I wanted to bring him on here because we're both kind of in the social media space. He does more of the business branding side. I'll let you talk about that after. And I'm more of a, a creator. So I think it'd be cool to have this conversation between kind of the business side and the creator side and how they interact and all of that. And what we're going to do in this episode is just dive into some different social media things, talk about his journey on all these different platforms. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. So Gabe, do you want to just walk us through what you do right now? Like, so I know you work at Viral Nation. To be quite honest, I don't know exactly what you do. I've read your title as business lead or something like that. I've seen some of the cool stuff and all the influencers and brands you work with. But you want to just walk me through like what, what you actually do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, like, and, and to be honest with you, Tim, and like to everybody watching this, I could probably go on and on about this yeah. stuff for about eight hours. So <laughs> short answer is... Um, my job primarily at Viral Nation is working directly with the brands on building exactly what their social media strategy is going to look like, whether that's how do we redo your Instagram feed to drive new customer acquisition, or how do we leverage influencers or talent like like Tim, for example, to drive awareness or um, you know acquisition of customers or users, you name it. So a lot of the work that I do is primarily working directly with the brands on building what that strategy and what their approach could look like on social. So a lot of it is really just using your creative head, but also your business head to make sure that, you know, we're, we're implementing and, and conceptualizing the right, the right strategy, especially for, for audiences of today. Um, we, at least myself, I don't do anything traditional. I don't do, I'm not an expert in PR. I don't do bus ads or billboards or commercials, everything that I know. And, and as well as our agency's competency has always kind of lied in everything social and what audiences are engaging with today. So that's kind of the short answer, again, as you could probably tell, like, on and on about this stuff. But that's it from a very high level. Okay, nice. So you got involved with Viral right out of high school, right? Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that? Because I think it's interesting. Like, you you pretty much graduated, and even before you were graduated, you kind of already knew this was your path, right? You were going to do something like this. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's been a really interesting journey, to say the least. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been definitely an uphill battle, tons of work, lots of hours, but ultimately worth it. And it's a little bit different. So how I actually got to where I am today actually started in a similar place where you're at, Tim, just not at the same scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so how I started was many, many years ago. I actually started producing content primarily on YouTube. That was kind of my bread and butter. That's where I started. Uh, producing content, gaming content on YouTube, um, grew that to about 60,000 followers or sorry, subscribers. Um, And where I think I developed a lot was mainly figuring out, okay, how do I monetize that following in a way that's authentic to myself, but also in a way that I can extract as much value out of the time that I'm putting in. So a lot of when I started was, you know, it started out with me creating content and then working with other influencers and talent and gamers and content creators on YouTube to figure out, okay, how do we make way more money off the content that we're already putting out there? 
So that slowly transitioned into me working on a talent side of the business. So uh, a really close friend of mine started, uh, myself and him, we started a talent firm, which pretty much represented influencers like Tim and talent on social and content creators to really help manage the business side. So a lot of our methodology back then was let's let the creators focus on what they're great at, which is making and creating amazing content. Um, and then let us handle the business side of things with your uh, branded content, your YouTube ads, your uh, merchandise, uh, your endorsement deals, et cetera. And we quickly scaled that uh, over about a three to four year period um, to one of the largest talent networks in the world, exclusive uh, for YouTube influencers. Um, and then near the peak of that talent agency, we actually ended up selling it to uh, a super large digital media firm uh, out of LA actually. And then from there, I was working with them as a consultant for about a year or two, and then got picked up by Viral Nation super early on and, and started working with them kind of from the ground up. So when I joined the company, it was still in startup stage, there was about I think about 10 or 15 employees max, and now we're about 120. So I, I was there from a very early age uh, myself uh, as a person, but also as the agency. And, and now I'm here, I started as an intern, then started managing accounts and executing cool influencer campaigns, and then um, just kind of scaled up into working directly with the brands themselves. So that's kind of like, that. that's my journey from, again, a high level. Yeah. <laughs> I can go deeper and deeper with this type of stuff. But I'm yeah. sure, man, yeah. That's uh wow, that's awesome. First of all, congratulations. I mean, not many people achieve that much, especially in that time span. And that's I didn't know that you uh you were involved in such I guess that was a pretty large company then if it was one of the largest ones for YouTube. But I did see uh you were working with a few really cool creators that I personally knew like back in the day on your Instagram and stuff, and I was like, damn, like I really want to know what this guy does. So that uh <laughs> that answers the question for me. That's awesome. Right. So it was also super tough too, Tim. Like if you remember back in high school, like it was a, it was a weird place to be like different. You know what I mean? A hundred percent, man. And that's what I want to dig into a little bit too, because I mean, I'm sure we've both dealt with it. I think everyone deals with it, right? Like the judgment and the hate and the idea of being different and unique, right? And I think like for me, I didn't really get the freedom until I kind of hit grade 12 first year where I was like, you know, I don't really care what everyone thinks. Like I like doing this. It, it's huge. Let, let's keep going. It, it's beneficial. But back in grade 10 and 11, you know, right. the, the thing you're thinking about is like, you know, oh, do they like that? Are the girls going to like, right? Just so much like right, social right. pressure. So Right. And that's why like, to be honest with you, like that's kind of why the reason I went into more of like the behind the scenes route was because it was much more low key. It was something that people wouldn't talk about a lot type thing because my problem was when I was creating content was that firstly, I wouldn't obviously use my full real name like mm -hmm. I would now. It was an alias, uh, which I won't mention just because I don't want to dig up those. Yeah, yeah no worries. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, it, it was weird because it was something that you want to hide. But now I think the landscape over the even like the past three years has changed and people's psychology behind stuff like this and the work that we do has changed a lot. But back then it was a tough place to be, especially in a place like high school where like, you know, it, when you're if you're not working at McDonald's and drinking every day, it's just not cool. So it was like it was definitely different type type thing. You know what I mean? Oh, 100 percent, man. And I, like I felt that as well. So that's why I was going to ask you, you know, how did you how did you cope with all of that? Or I guess did you right? Because you had the alias. You were kind of hidden behind the scenes. I mean, personally, I didn't really know. I feel like a lot of people I knew that were friends with both of us didn't really have that much of an idea what you did. So did you kind of just just kind of keep it to yourself within your circle? Was that kind of your way of just you know, dealing with that? Because I feel like in grade 10, for me at least, or because you were starting even before that, I guess, yeah. um, I had a lot of difficulties for sure. You know, even people at school would, you know, make fun of the YouTube channel or yeah. like you would just hear those <laughs> things and it would be discouraging, right? Right. So. 
Right, right. And, um, you know, the alias only went so far. It was only a matter of time until everybody starts discovering your content. But I would say as I kind of matured throughout school, I slowly stopped creating content and started focusing more on the business side of things, which was frankly just more lucrative for me as a person. And secondly, it was just like, I didn't have fun making content anymore, Tim, to be honest with you, not just because of like all the other things I I wanted to balance, but just because I, I wasn't having fun with it. And me as a person, if I don't have fun with something, I don't care about the money or the compensation. I won't do it ever. Um, that's just who I am as a person. But in terms of how I balance it all, dude, like it was, it was pretty straightforward for me. It was like, for me, let me put as least effort as I could into school and let me prioritize something that I truly have fun with and just hope for the best. To be honest with you, I didn't have, for a lot of people, I think like, and you too, Tim, like I think that there's like this social construct where everybody has to go to post-secondary college university i i didn't go that route um i know you did and i know that that's something that you spoke about on one of your other podcasts i just like i I think it's such an interesting discussion topic but for me in terms of balancing social life business content creating at the time and then everything else that comes with you know doing that type of stuff in high school it was easy for me because frankly i didn't put any effort into school side of things which is probably not a great thing to say but (laughs) That's just me being honest. Yeah, no, and I appreciate the honesty. I I can say honestly as well now, and especially this last semester with everything going online, I've been very much the same way. I've kind of looked at things and I've said, what do I find meaningful? What do I like doing? Uh, And obviously those things are going to be what I excel at, what I do best at, what I want to put the hours in for. And I said, let's focus on that. And I just, you know, didn't really study for exams, didn't really care about school, still ended up doing fine. Um, right. but really was able to put a lot more effort into the YouTube channel and even start this podcast and everything else that I'm doing right now. And I think that that's helped me a ton. And I've obviously helped you as well is kind of picking what you want to focus on, not necessarily neglecting something, but just saying, you know, we'll, we'll put a bit in and we'll get by in that, but it doesn't need to be the main focus. Right. Right. And I think a lot of it's like, it, it comes down to the methodology of like, you have to master your craft. Right. So my goal is, you know, at least when I first started, I was like, okay, how do I become the best in the world at what I do? And this is just what I just so happen to do. So how do I do this in the best possible way? And with that comes working, you know, every single day for 13, 14 hours, you know, at the age of like 14 and 15, but it was, it, it was worth it in the long run. And frankly, I think that there's a lot more that comes with it too. Um, because it's just the knowledge of things too, Tim. Like if you think about it, you're a super smart guy, man. Like you, when it comes to comp sci or like the programming stuff that you do, frankly, I'm, that's my least competency. I'm not a tech guy like that in terms of like programming. Um, but you've mastered your craft in a really cool way. And now what you prefer to do is share with your audience and build an audience of people that are also like-minded. I just think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my two cents there. And also like, you have to think about it too, like with college and university is that frankly, you kind of sometimes have to put in the effort just because you're paying for that. You're paying for it. Right. For so. sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I've had, I guess you've heard, we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast about, um, kind of the school system. And I think, you know, this pandemic has brought out a lot as well, right? It's kind of shown people that, Hey, we don't necessarily need these lecture halls, these classrooms, this huge time commitment. Uh, you know, we can kind of learn it on our own. And I, I have a feeling that as we continue to move forward, you know, 2020, 2030, uh, we're going to see less and less people going that traditional route. And there's just so many new ways that are popping up 
to learn this and get that kind of education, right? right? You don't need to right. go crazy in debt uh, and almost ruin your life before it even begins. That's kind of the way right. I see it for a lot of people. They just, they jump in, they don't, they kind of go because of pressure. They don't know what they're doing. For my field, it makes a lot of sense uh, for it what does. I'm doing. Yeah. For a lot of fields, it makes sense, but there's a lot of right. fields out there, right? Where, and I'm sure, you know, we know the uh, common examples where it doesn't really make any sense to go to school for that, at least until you've committed that that's really what you want to do. Right. And I, you know, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with that more, to be honest with you, man. Like, again, it, frankly, I think as, as the years continue and, and um, I think e-learning and online school is going to become more and more prevalent even after this pandemic, um, I, I think it's going to change a lot of people's perspectives on, on whether they want to go or not. And I agree with you, man. Like, when I look at like people, you know, in our space or even in our age group and like you think about that type of stuff and and the reason why they went and went to school for like a bachelor of arts, not to not to, you know, shit on anybody that's yeah, in yeah. school and stuff like that. But it's like it I just think if you're gonna go to school, you you should you really need to know what you wanna do, frankly, you know, between in the middle of it or even near the end of it, right? Um, but it's it's tough. Like I, I don't speak for the majority. I'm kind of an anomaly in a space like this. I don't speak for the majority of people because frankly, it's just, it's the nature of, of people in our age. It's tough for people to know what they want to do, but I'm personally not a massive advocate for post-secondary or school or things. I'm just not. And that's just who I am. But like everybody's different. It depends what you want to do, I would say. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think, I mean, I'd say I'm the same, right? You know, not many people kind of come out of high school with maybe the same ability or even just passion for a specific topic. And they're, they're still figuring things out, right? But that's why I always kind of recommend, at least on my channel, as I say, you know, take some time to figure things out, right? There's no harm in taking a semester off, taking a few months and, and just kind of tasting, trying some things out and seeing what you really want to do. Because I, you know, you don't really want to lock into a four-year contract, which is kind of the way that I describe it, by going to university. And if you back right, out, right. you're going to lose that that whole investment, essentially, which nowadays, not as much in Canada, but in the States especially, is just extremely expensive. And that's oh, a yeah. life, like, I genuinely think of that as, as a the first thing in life that really messes people up oh, is yeah. is jumping into school without thinking about it. You know, it's different if your parents are paying for it, if you have the opportunity. But if you're going into debt for that, it's right. just a... I don't know. It, it's hard. The ROI, I can't see many situations. I can't justify where it's the ROI. I cannot justify the ROI on it. It's tough for me to measure. I can't like, you know what I mean? Of course. And that's, we're, we're an anomaly, right? Tim, like most people don't think like this, like, Oh, what's the ROI of me spending 150 grand on a four year program. And people don't think like that. Yeah. Right. But again, I feel like you're digging yourself a hole before you even got on the field type thing. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that for sure. And that's why it's just, I just think people need to take some time and, and almost have the self-awareness to say, I don't know, right? And that, right. I think that's, that's a big thing. I think both of you, us have kind of somewhat mastered that. And I think you get that a lot when you start posting online. Um, you have to start kind of keeping yourself in check. Like I know for me, like I try to reflect almost daily and say, you know, okay, why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this? What's going on, right? And I think when you start posting on social media, maybe you can talk to this, um, and you hear, like, I, both of us probably have, you know, had millions of people commenting, viewing our stuff, giving their opinions. Uh, it's hard to kind of pick what's right and what's wrong, and you have to have the self-awareness to know what I'm doing is right, this is good, I like this, or I don't like this, I'm not going to keep going. And that's I, right. why I see a lot of, you know, mental health issues on social media too, because people just they aren't really self-aware. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they don't like. And then someone comes along and starts telling them all of this, these things and they don't know who to listen to, right? Right. So, they don't know who to listen to, but they also can't accept it too. So like, yeah. I think like, 
uh, self-awareness, especially when it comes to content creation on social is how you optimize. And that's ultimately how you're going to grow, uh, not just as a person, but also your following on social, if, if that's what your goal is, right? So you have to be self-aware of what's going on in your industry, what's going on in your space. How is your audience, how receptive is your audience to your content? What's their sentiment like around your content? That's how you optimize, right? In all aspects of life, I would say. Um, so I 110% agree with you there, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So what I want to ask you now, man, is there's so many, there's so many social media platforms out here. You're kind of, right. in my eyes, you're kind of like the guru, right? You've been around for a while. You know, you've been doing this for so long. Um, and you've been on all these platforms. You started on YouTube. I know you got a decent presence on LinkedIn. I see you on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. which ones are your favorite, just uh, personal preference and then maybe um, business preference for branding too. So personal preference ranked by priority has to go LinkedIn first, YouTube second, Instagram third. Um, and then probably like, I don't even use Twitter. I don't really use TikTok a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn's my favorite just because it's educational content. A lot of the times, so, like it's not mindless content. Yeah. Um, oftentimes like the people that are connected with me are in similar spaces and I always like to figure out what people are doing. Um, and also it's a tool that helps from a sales perspective in driving growth for, for viral nation as a business. Um, and then YouTube, just because frankly, that's kind of where my roots are. That's where I find alternatives to just Netflix and, and it's long form content, right? So it keeps you engaged for a longer period of time. It's storytelling content. I frankly think that YouTube's going to be kind of like it, it, it is that hero channel, but I think further as we continue on, um, over the next couple of years, we're going to see a, ma- a massive shift in terms of viewership on YouTube. And that's something that we'll obviously speak about later, but YouTube is that, that, uh, platform where you build real connections with your audience. Um, and then Instagram is that social platform where I connect with just friends um, and entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, frankly. But that would be me kind of ranking it. I would say LinkedIn's definitely a number one. And, and it hasn't always been like that. Like, I really just started uh, investing time heavily into LinkedIn over the past year and a half, I would say. Um, but yeah, that's that's really why I would, I would say those are my favorite. Yeah, LinkedIn's a great platform and I kind of took it for granted uh, when I started using it because I kind of just thought of it as an online resume. And I think think a lot of people think of it that way even today uh, and they don't realize like the organic reach today on LinkedIn is unbelievable. I I had like 500 followers or connections or something on LinkedIn. I posted just some job update or something like not even like 600 likes. Yeah, it got like, you know, 700 reactions, 40,000 views. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what the heck? And like, I, I like LinkedIn for the same reasons that you said, because I go on there and I'm actually learning something. You can't really be, you can, but it's most people aren't that rude or offensive or trolling on LinkedIn because it's a professional platform. Yeah. Yeah, And that's what I really like because it kind of, you're only really interacting with the people that actually care that want to give some kind of insight. And I just find it a really valuable platform that I think a lot of people undervalue today. Um, and even just the job opportunities and everything, like I'll go on there and I'll have job offers. I can connect with people. I can see what's happening. You know, recruiters will post stuff like it's just a great, I really enjoy that platform and I've just started getting on it. Um, and you've seen, I posted some clips and stuff. I'm starting to kind of get used to the LinkedIn feed, but I think that could be one of the next, uh, big platforms for sure. And if it already isn't right. So yeah, dude, it's massive now. And like, also what we also have to consider too, is like, the content discovery on LinkedIn as a platform. So when we think about YouTube, there's a few ways on how new viewers can find your content, right? They can see it as a recommended in the sidebar or suggested of a related video that they're watching. It could be on their homepage. They could go ahead and actually search for what your content's about. So to discover content on a platform like YouTube, it's very much targeted. 
Whereas a platform like LinkedIn, there's nowhere to search for specific pieces of content. There's places to search for specific people and roles, which is crucial. But content discovery on LinkedIn is what I think is lacking from the platform. But I also think it favors how your content's being distributed to a wider audience, right? Because when we think about how LinkedIn content's being displayed, it's based on engagement, which is super important, right? So for example, Tim, if I were to like your job update, that means my network will then see your job update on my feed, right? Or if I commented on it, et cetera. So it's a, it serves content in a really interesting way where it has a higher propensity for larger viewership. And that's why I think there's so much low hanging fruit on a platform like LinkedIn. And not only that, I find that um, video content sometimes is being served more highly and ranks highly on the feed than like a static post. But, you know, social algorithms change like no tomorrow. So, yeah, you can never really predict it. You're just kinda, yeah. you're kind of witnessing what's happening. Right. And, and seeing where it goes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting. I just, so that's the way it works then. Right. On LinkedIn is pretty much if you engage with the post because you follow that person or you see it, then it gets distributed to pretty much everyone in your network. Is that their feeds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. To their audience's feeds. Exactly. And that's why the platform is so it's interesting. Right. But it's not just like an online resume. So that's why I think there's so much value in, in the platform. I think the younger demo is going to start getting on this sooner rather than later. I find that most people that just kind of graduate university or college or, you know, whatever post-secondary, then they start getting on LinkedIn as more of a formality, not as more of something that they need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's going to change rapidly uh, over the next couple of years, not immediately, but I think it's going to change rapidly. Yeah, I would say so as well. I mean, I've just discovered LinkedIn really within the past kind of six months to a year. And I've just been blown away by by how great the platform is. And I see a lot of people, right, that just have, you know, the no profile photo, they just throw up a little resume and they have it there just to link. And I'm like, you know, this is your online presence. I almost am treating this as like the the Facebook of our generation, right? Right. That's my thinking too, man. That's the exact same way that I'm thinking about it. Um, and frankly, for a lot of people, not to say that this is like us, but like for a lot of people, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know too. For sure. So uh, that's just how you maximize value out of the people that you know and also establish new connections and relationships. And oftentimes that's more valuable than any piece of knowledge. Of course, yeah, and I agree. And I mean, that's like, I don't remember the last time I went on Facebook and was like adding people and connecting, which is kind of their whole thing, right? Connecting the world. But um, but LinkedIn, you know, you go on there and you just, you're adding everyone. You're just building this network of people. And the great thing is, if people don't realize, you know, people post job postings on there. They like looking for this right. person. Like it's really, it's a great way to kind of get to know people too. Like I've reached out to people on LinkedIn and I find that generally if I'm DMing someone, I have a higher response rate on there than I do on, you know, a platform like, I don't know, Twitter or Instagram yeah, or something like that. Right. Right. And it depends, obviously that depends on who you're reaching out to, what you're looking to get out of them. Right. Cause if you're super salesy, it's never going to work. Um, because people can obviously read through the bullshit. Um, but LinkedIn is like, it's not like a young platform by any means. It's been around for like over a decade at this point. But I think, you know, what's interesting about LinkedIn, Tim, and I think that this is going to tie in really nicely with what you do is that it's becoming another platform for influencers, right? So there are, there's, so as you know, there's, there's the traditional kind of more conventional level of influencer, which is a guy like you, a guy like David Dobrik or like Jake Paul, for example, just to name off some basics, those guys are your, cons your influencers for primarily consumer audiences, right? And then when we look at LinkedIn as a platform and the growth on the platform and then how people are blowing up on the platform, you need to start thinking about the platform as like, look, this is another network, but for influencers in a much more targeted capacity. Um, because you're targeting business professionals, you're targeting enterprise level people 
corporate people. Um, there's like, I don't specialize in business to business marketing. Um, that's a different division of our company entirely, but it's something that I've grown to understand really well. So I think that with LinkedIn, what's going to happen is that more influencers are going to be incubated on that platform than any other when they're in the business to business space and enterprise sales space and stuff like that. Yeah, I would see that happening for sure. And the nice thing that I like is, like you said, it lets me almost reach somewhat of a different audience. I kind of get those people that are in the business world, that are professionals, that want to hear things that are like actionable advice, or they want to, they're not looking for entertainment, they're looking for something to consume that's of value. And that's what I always try to put out on my channel, regardless is something that's valuable to something to watch where you come away and you say, hey, you know, I learned something today or that was cool or I like the way that guy taught that, whatever it is. Uh, but that's what I really like about LinkedIn because people are seeking out value. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's the type of content they're trying to post. Like I'm not really posting any kind of mindless content on my YouTube right. channel. It's there's no sure. Maybe there's a few like coding entertainment videos, but they're right. far few in between. So that's why I really like it. And I just I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes in the next few years. And I, I still tell people, I'm like, get on LinkedIn as early as you can, yeah. because the worst right. thing you don't have to post, but you're just getting connections, you're building yeah. a network. Right. And you're, you're getting right. just used to the platform. Big time, man. Could could not agree more. And yeah, again, like the content you're posting isn't like memes or butt pics. Like it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not yeah. stuff that you see on a place like Instagram, but totally different, totally different audience. And I think like that's also another topic in and of itself is that obviously your content and your creative and the stuff you put out has to be tailored to who you're planning, who who you want to watch your content, right? Um, and I think so. I think you've mastered that perfectly just by judging like not just the following and engagement on your content, but also the brands and stuff that you work with. Because Tim, you have to understand is like when you're working with brands, like the fact is, is that your content's definitely important. Your engagement's important. But what's more important is for us to understand who are you actually influencing as a, as an influencer, right? As, as opposed to just looking at the type of content or the niche that you're in. And I think that um, that's incredibly, incredibly powerful uh, to think about when you start think, making content. Oh, 100%. And I mean, there's been so many examples. And I, I used to watch a lot of YouTube videos and talks and, you know, podcasts like this back in the day when I was kind of learning how to do this. And the number one thing people were saying is, you know, pick a niche, understand your audience uh, and really, you know, get to know what type of content you're type you're trying to post and who you're trying to attract. Um, and for me, you know, that's the people that want to learn programming that are maybe more beginner level that are getting into the tech space. Uh, but at the beginning, I think a lot of people just post everything and anything just to try to see what works, which, you know, sometimes right. can be a good idea. Uh, but yeah, like you said, it's really important to know who you're working with, who you're serving this content to, so you can tailor it to them, which Big I think a lot of people neglect. Big time, 100%, dude. I totally, totally, I'm, we're on the same page. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you said uh, you don't use TikTok very much, do you? Um, I understand the platform from like, I would say like a marketing level, mm -hmm. not necessarily from a consumer level. Personally, it's like, you know, what I find is interesting is that like TikTok is having the same effect as like Vine and Twitter. So I'll explain. Um, if we think, if we, you know, throw back to Vine, you think about Vine, the platform itself wasn't great in terms of discovery of content and in terms of just like catering to creators, but the content itself was amazing because you were limiting creators to six seconds. I believe it was something along. Yeah, I think it was six. six yeah. Yeah. So when you give limit limitations, creativity sparks. And I think that that's also what happened on TikTok because you're not posting hour long content like you would on a platform like YouTube. But me personally, from like a consumer level, I'm consuming all the TikTok content on my Instagram feed because it's being repurposed and shared there anyways. 
the platform itself, I'm just not personally a huge consumer on. I've done a lot of work on the platform from like a, uh, like a marketing level, but I just think like the interesting thing about TikTok is that slowly but surely it's skewing just a little bit older as the platform grows in size, especially during a time like COVID when almost anybody and everybody is on their phone and almost anybody and everybody has now downloaded TikTok and started consuming there. I'm just not a massive fan of the platform for like the consumer level personally. Um, but from a marketing level, it's kind of like, it's what's hot right now. It's what everybody's talking about. Just like how Vine was that thing back in the day. Um, and I think that that's also an interesting topic in and of itself, right? Looking at what is the difference between a TikTok and Vine? Because I think what's happening here, um, Tim, with Vine, the problem, the problem with Vine was that, and the death of Vine was due to the fact that they didn't give anything back to their creator community. It didn't let you monetize your content. It was all done off platform, right? So for if I was a popular Viner and I wanted to make money off my Vines and I was seeing millions of reach, I would have to go off platform to facilitate those branded partnerships. There was nothing in the platform that helps me monetize my reach, my following, my viewership. Um, whereas platforms like YouTube did that really well. Instagram, not really. It's kind of in that same space. Um, but I think that's what's happening with TikTok. What TikTok has mastered is how they're giving back to the creators on their platform that are fueling their, their engine. And I think that's why they have much more longevity and it has a propensity for, I would say, potentially almost taking over Instagram um, in really cool ways. But yeah, TikTok, that's kind of my two cents on it, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's, it's interesting that you said that because that's kind of what I've noticed as well. I mean, I'm the same, like I'll go on TikTok once in a while just to kind of see what's happening, just to be, you know, in the space, understand how this younger generation is taking it. Because from what I can tell, like this is a very younger generation thing. Like, yes, there is, you know, some older people on it, um, but it seems like the kind of average demographic is in that, in, is in a kind of our age group, our age range, to be honest, like 15 right. to like 25. Um and yeah, so do you mind explaining how TikTok is giving back? Because I don't know much about the business side of it. I've been trying to understand personally how you make money on TikTok. I mean, it makes sense for me for the big influencers. They can kind of push whatever they want onto other platforms. Uh, but say I was a TikToker that had like a million followers or something. How am I generating a revenue from that profit? Or maybe what is your strategy of working with brands to push something out on TikTok then? Right. So there's like a lot of answers to this question. Yeah, First, the summary is fine. Yeah, yeah. So for firstly, in terms of how are in terms of how TikTok's giving back to their creator community, it's not the big things, Tim, that matter. It's the small things. It's like them shouting out their creators. It's them doing really cool meetups and, and, and things that are powered by them as a platform and acknowledging that look, these are our top creators on the platform. And it can it doesn't have to be monetary. It can be as simple as showing them love and engagement, right? Showing them recognition. That's one way that they've done it. Really, really low lift and done it in a way that's super successful. Um, and then beyond that, in terms of how do you monetize your following on TikTok, it pretty much is off-platform, similar to um, Instagram, right? So for somebody to monetize their following on a place like TikTok, you have to do branded partnerships, right? With, you know, we'll use um, we'll use Nestle as an example, right? So if I'm Nestle, I want to go ahead and start leveraging TikTok for my marketing needs and I want to allocate some of my marketing spend towards TikTok, then what I need to do is either go to TikTok directly and deal with their people, which can be a little frustrating sometimes, or I can go to like a third-party agency like Viral Nation that can help us connect with those influencers and build a strategy on how we want to work with them. So that's primarily how TikTokers have been monetizing their influence. But you know what's interesting too, Tim, uh, Tim I almost called you Tim. Uh, <laughs> you know what's interesting too about TikTok is that 
it's having the same Vine effect. So let's look at Vine again. We'll circle back because the similarities are ridiculous. Um, when we look at Vine, look at the people that have grown from Vine. Look at a guy like um, look at a guy like David Dobrik. Look at a guy like Ray Lagaya. These these people grew their following and their influence on TikTok or sorry Vine back then, yeah. and then slowly transitioned their following to a place like YouTube where there's much more longevity in terms of a career. Um, then places like um, Instagram, where again, much more longevity in terms of an influence career. Same thing is happening with TikTok. So how TikTokers are becoming successful in their space is not just by solely relying on what they're building on TikTok, but it's also figuring out how do I transition my audience from TikTok over to a place like Instagram, over to a place like YouTube, where the propensity for monetization is much higher. So that's also something that I've been finding. And that's what the successful TikTokers are doing is they're not solely relying on their following on TikTok. They're moving that audience and pushing them away from it as seamlessly as possible to other platforms where it's easier to convert to a uh, subscription or where it's easier to convert to um, some sort of monetary value or compensation. So that's something that I found is super interesting too about the platform. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting you say that because I guess that is really true with Vine. I mean, I never, I used Vine obviously back in the day, but I never really looked at it and like kind of analyzed it. Um, it seems like, yeah, it's a very similar thing is happening. Short attention span, fast videos, quick consumption. You're seeing, I mean, on if you go on TikTok for five minutes, you're going to see a lot more posts than if you go on YouTube for five minutes, right? Or something like that. So I would say on average, I mean, that mathematically makes sense that people are getting more views. There's more exposure. The virality is ridiculous. I've seen, you know, you can post something and immediately it has, you know, 170,000 views or a million views. And it's just something stupid, like some guy, you know, videoing his face. Um, but I guess that makes a lot of sense because they have to to be sustainable. They realize they can't just post, you know, five TikToks a day and do one brand deal a week. They have to move off and, and kind of go to a platform that makes more sense. So I almost see this as like an exposure piece almost like you know advertising themselves like becoming right. well known and right. then like you said transitioning which you know do you predict that's going to be a downfall of, of tiktok like vine do you think that their top influencers are going to realize that hey my time is better spent over here on youtube or over here on instagram because you know i can make my millions whereas on tiktok i'll, I'll do it now and then but um it, it's not worth my time do you think that's going to happen um, I, I think it depends on how the platform adapts from like a, na a native feature perspective in terms of discovery of content, in terms of sharing content, in terms of um, making the, the platform, I would say, more friendly for ways that firstly, they can get more money out of the platform. So like, for example, the reason why I say this is because the reason why brands spend millions of dollars every single month on a place like Instagram is the call to action. One of the coolest ways or one of the easiest ways to drive audiences over to a landing page or to your website or to the app store or to your e-commerce is through the Instagram story swipe up. It's yeah. the most seamless way to drive people to places off platform. TikTok has yet to do this, right? TikTok has like the embed your Instagram button in your bio and add like a link tree, but that can only go so far. So I think for TikTok to keep their longevity, it's about how are they treating the native platform features? How are they updating those and making them current with how marketers are leveraging those tools, but also how are influencers leveraging those tools too. Um, I think that the successful TikTokers have already successfully transitioned their audience to those other platforms, but for the sake of the fact that they're TikTokers, they have to keep their, yeah. their reputation up, they have to keep their following and engagement up on their hero platform, which is TikTok for them. So I think a lot of it is in the hands of, of TikTok as a company, as a platform. And, and you know what's interesting too, is that TikTok as, 
uh, is actually a client of ours, a viral nation. Um, for those of you that don't know, TikTok is owned by like a Chinese conglomerate called ByteDance. That's their parent company. They're based out of China. Um, and we do user acquisition marketing for them and stuff. So I'm super familiar with the platform, more from like a marketing level as a, like a creator level. So that's why I know a little bit too much about this stuff. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, you should. I would expect you to know, right? This this is your this is your day job. This is what you're doing day in, day out. So you are the guru, as I said from before. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, yeah it's, that's interesting. I mean, I've just, personally for me as a consumer, and I guess, you know, we're probably um, the rare ones. I'm not a fan of all that kind of quick content, but it seems like nowadays that, that that's what it's moving to, right? Like everyone is is going for these very fast, very quick, very mindless pieces of content. I mean, look at Twitter, the tweet limit, look at TikTok, the time limit, Vine, right? It seems like what's becoming successful nowadays is is very quick, grabs your attention immediately and only holds it for a few seconds. Um, is that is that what you're seeing as well? Like I feel like in the younger generation, the attention spans just going down i mean i i remember when i was younger you know i could sit and do things for hours and not get bored but right. but now it seems like people and i worked as a summer camp counselor and i worked in in that environment with children a lot and i just noticed that the attention span is dropping so drastically do you think that could be partially to do because of platforms like this like tiktok like vine like the way that we're moving online yes and no i also think it's like the psychology of like everything being on demand now too right so That's like true, if we yeah. uh, Look how easy it is to watch a movie now, right? I don't have to go to Blockbuster. I don't have to go to the video store and buy a movie or rent one, right? I can go on Netflix and it's always on. It's on demand, right? That's the behavior that has now been established in consumers. So inherently what's going to happen by nature is with all of this on-demand technology and, and offerings and services that are super responsive, easy to use, a kid could what's going to happen ultimately is yes attention spans are going to drop significantly and the content that people are consuming isn't going to be as long form as it as they they were when a place like youtube first started what i will say though is that it's kind of like a yes and no answer too because it circles back to the idea of limitation drives creativity so even though some people aren't down to watch a 15 minute video they will watch a TikTok video for a minute long because not only is it easier to consume as a viewer, but it's also way more creative content that you would see in a 15 minute YouTube video because again, limitation breeds creativity. So when you're stuck in a six second or like an, a minute and a half time frame and a format of content, then you have to be very creative in terms of how you're driving re viewer retention, right? So how are you retaining your viewers? Um, and that's why I, I think it's so, I, I think the reason why a place like TikTok and Vine succeed was because of those limitations, but also because of just the on-demand generation. People are, are they're not waiting for anything anymore. That's um, a, yeah, that's a good point. And that goes across all demographics, to be honest with you. That's not just uh, guys that are like younger like us. It's across all demos is what I found. People want things now and they want it immediately and quick. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess I even analyze myself as a consumer and I'm like, you know, if the web page takes more than two seconds to load, I'm swip switching to data or I'm going here. That's not, a, you know, I yeah, think yeah. I saw some statistic or something because I was trying to do like a page optimization for my website and it was something like 90% uh, of uh, viewers or whatever it is, users will click off your website if it takes more than five seconds to load or some number right. like that. So I guess right. that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, that's why, sorry to interrupt. No, I was just no worries. Gonna optimizing your web your your landing pages your seo it, you need it right it's you need it with audiences and and consumers of today for sure 
Yeah, and that creativity point was huge, I think. I mean, you've brought it up a few times now, but it's just really hit me. Uh, when you The amount of creativity that you really do need to work in those few seconds, because I guess when you think, I mean, as a YouTuber, what I'm thinking about, right, is I can kind of make a video that's like 10 and 15 minutes long, and both of them can really say the same thing, right? Maybe one, I'm a little bit more rambly, I go on a bit, but since it's YouTube and there's no time limit, and on general, if they watch that far, they're going to watch it anyways, I'm not thinking about it that much, right? I'm kind of like, you know, let's get the material out, I'll do it in my way, I'm not meticulously planning out every half second or second, whereas, like you stated, you know, on a platform like Vine um, or TikTok now, you kind of have to do that. And I've actually been quite impressed with some of the TikToks I've seen, how well they actually hook me in. And someone who's typically, I don't get hooked that easily or, you know, I have the willpower to just swipe away. Uh, there's some that I can't, right? I'll go on there and these guys are just, they do something so unique or so creative in those few seconds that really grab my attention. So that's a good point. Um, big, and yeah. Big time too. And like, you know, when we think about it too, like not just that, but like, that content is going to appeal to obviously inherently a younger demo because it's easier to consume. It's faster paced, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I guess that's true as well. I mean, the younger generation is not at this point from what I can see really willing to sit through, you know, there's 20 minute videos or those long form videos, unless it's something they really enjoy and they're passionate about. Um, and I see that a lot on, on my channel as well. Like I have younger viewers, but those viewers are definitely uh, exceptions, right? You know, they're not the usual people like they're going out. Obviously, it's programming, so it's different, but they're kind of going out of their way to learn this. They want to be one step ahead. They're watching the videos for that purpose, not just entertainment to consume online, right. which is interesting. Does that give you hope, too, as a creator? <laughs> does it give like, me hope? Yeah, de definitely. Well, I think... Um, what happens, right, is as everyone's moving online and it's just we, every day, more and more people, more people signing up, more users, um, as much as it, we're moving towards these fast form platforms, there's also the people that really do appreciate the original stuff, right, or the stuff that's the longer form. And that's that's a niche of its own. It might not be the majority, but, you know, I'm not tending to the majority of people. I'm tending to those people that want to learn, that are kind of reaching out. You know, they went on YouTube. Most of my um, traffic on YouTube, by the way, is organic reach because the way I kind of SEO and I've planned my channel. So they're awesome. they're searching for my videos. They're finding them. They're clicking on them, not because... They're not, well, they might be interesting to them, but they're clicking on them because they want to learn, right? So it right, just, there's right. different, it almost is like as this new gen pops up, there's like the rebellious people from that area that still appreciate that original content um, and that they kind of miss it, right? Big time, dude. And that's awesome to hear too, that a lot of your traffic and, and viewership comes direct. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a big thing people ask me. They're like, do you advertise? They're like, how do you get? Some I'm like, well, my basic strategy, and I'll talk through this with you because you know you're the perfect guy uh, to listen to it. Is what I when I set up my channel, I was kind of thinking about a way that I could do this sustainably. So I'm like, you know, let's be real. I'm not the most entertaining guy in the world. I'm not going to be, you know, hooking people in immediately. I need to do some kind of educational, valuable content that people want to watch. But I want to make sure that I don't have to pump out, you know, five videos a week to get views and to make the paycheck at the end of the month. So what I wanted right. to do was I didn't care about the short term views. I cared about where these videos ranked, how high quality they were, how long they were going to last. And I made sure that, you know, in, in a year, these just slowly keep building and building and building views so that today I get more views on the video each day than I did, you know, the, the past few days. So now what happens is I kind of have these building blocks on my channel that are just sitting there that are, you know, good pieces of content that I haven't had to do anything with for two years. They're just accumulating, building up more views, building up more views, building up more right. views. And then, yeah, exactly. They're what bring people in. And then once you're in, 
you know, you'll subscribe and you'll watch the new videos and then I'll give you some other ones that maybe won't be those educational ones. But that was kind of my model was I wanted to have all these these places all over the Internet where you could find me and then it would kind of hook you in from there. Maybe you don't maybe don't subscribe. That's fine. But as you see more and more of them, then you subscribe. We build the base and then from there I can start posting content that doesn't just have to sit in the search tab that that can get recommended because I have a larger audience. Right. So big time. And like the way that you built your editorial strategy and like your distribution mapping for your content was interesting to me because what you built and i don't know if you realize this but like this is me coming from like a marketing mm -hmm. perspective is what you built was like an incredible funnel for converting cold viewers into fans um and i think that's just really really interesting i think that's something that we could dive deeper on at a later point just like because there's so many intricacies to a platform like youtube right it's so different than like your instagram your TikTok your Twitter, it's so different. You have to think about what's my thumbnail looking like? What's my title like? What type of keywords are in my description? What type of keywords are on my back end tags? What's my channel or what's my description, right? So like there's, how are my playlists set up? There's so many moving parts in order to build a healthy ecosystem to drive that viewership funnel and convert those new viewers into fans. And I think that you've done it incredibly well. Well, I appreciate that, man. I can't say it wasn't without the struggles and the challenge. I mean, I've been doing this not as young as you, but I started kind of getting into this space at 16. Didn't right. really kind of have any idea what I was doing or even was consistent until 17. And then I really started to learn. And the great right. thing, though, about a platform like YouTube or any kind of social media platform is that you learn as you go. Right. And you start out right. and and it's just it's really for me the ability to kind of sit there and grind when no one's watching you and learn and build those skills and get better at editing, get better at making more engaging videos and just day by day improving until you get to the point where, you know, you're pretty good and obviously you're still improving. But that's what happened to me. I mean. Go check out my first YouTube videos. Were they great? No, but they were the stepping stones, right? And I think a lot of people forget that on a platform like YouTube, especially where it's le it's a lot more difficult just hopping on the platform to get started. I mean, that first 1,000 subscribers is a grind. That could take you a year on its own, if, oh, right? Yeah. Depending on depending on uh, the audience and whatever's happening. But if you're willing to grind through it and learn and you really have the passion for what you're doing or you can at least see the end goal, then then you're willing to keep going because the big thing i think for a lot of people that i see that try to start and maybe you can say this um is that they just kind of get discouraged easily right they're not willing to put in that work or they don't see what the end result's going to be because you know they haven't made 500 bucks yet or it's been a year and they've only made 200 dollars they didn't get the brand deal but for me it's about just growing and that's also why i kind of started this podcast channel because I could have posted this on my main YouTube channel, but I really do like the journey of kind of starting from the bottom, learning, getting better and better and better and growing. And for me, that's really rewarding. Right. Big time, dude. And like, again, it goes back to the conversation of mastering your craft and really owning what you love. Right. And I think that like in a time like now, it's so important to, to really, really understand that. Um, and agreed, like, I think the biggest problem with YouTube growth, frankly, is that it, it can be expensive. It's not cheap to make YouTube content. You have to have a decent PC or Mac or something yep. to create your content, do your post-production and your publishing. You have to have decent internet to actually upload it in decent quality, right? And additionally, consistency. It's tough to be consistent because firstly, it's not it's not cheap to make good content. And it's tough for people to remain consistent. And that's why they get discouraged, right? Because 
they didn't get a thousand subscribers in their first week of uploading content. It's not like, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no reward constantly, right? Where I would say on a platform more like Instagram or TikTok, like you at least you're getting something where you're getting some views. Some people are seeing it's kind of growing slowly. And I would say that that happens on average much faster on those platforms than something like YouTube, where YouTube has a very exponential um, growth curve, right? At least from what I've realized, obviously there's exceptions. But at the beginning, it's just you're putting in a ton of work. You have no idea what you're really doing and you're not really being rewarded in any sense. In fact, you might be disrewarded. You know, you're putting in a ton of time, maybe your mental health suffering, whatever it is, you're getting those hate comments. And it's really hard and rightfully so to struggle through that to get to the point where you start to see the increase when the exponential right. really starts to take off. Uh, exactly. And that's that's the issue that, um, you know, a lot of people have on YouTube for me. And the reason I was able to succeed is because, like you said, you know, I was mastering my craft. Programming is my thing. You know, making content as much as, yeah, I love doing that. I'm not like the best at doing that. That's not something I've mastered yet. But what I have mastered is programming. And I've done that through making YouTube videos. Uh, and that's that's why I think these platforms are great, though, is because they also give people an opportunity to kind of you can walk through someone's journey with them as they learn. And I know a lot of my followers have noted that, that. I've learned so much in the past two years and, and you can see that in my videos, right? Like each right, right. video you're getting better and better and you're learning more things and you're show, uh, sharing no, more knowledge. And it's just, it's, it's really fascinating. And I like um, connecting with people on that level too. And I think you're right on YouTube, you build that kind of connection because you get to see them in the early stage when they're just starting out. Right. And then as they go up and up and up and they get better and better and better, you're like, yeah, I've been with this guy. I've grown with him. You know, it feels like almost like a friend right on the platform. So. Right, man, exactly. And that's why like when we think about how brands are using or not using, but working with guys like you, Tim, it's because you're not a TV channel. You're not. And you built a genuine relationship with your, with your following, which is frankly, you can't put a number on that, right? You can't put a price tag on something like that. Um, it, it's something that's, you know, it, it, invaluable in really cool ways. So like, you build just really genuine connections. And frankly, that's why we've seen over the past couple of years, over the past five, six years, brands went from investing $0 into people like you, Tim, to scaling it to a billion dollar, $5 billion industry now. Um, so again, just like how your audience has seen you as a person grow from like an intellect level and also a production level and as, as a person, um, what I've noticed is that the industry and brands are starting to also grow affinity towards stuff like that. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to ask you was how are how what do you see? I mean, you've kind of answered it, but what is the shift you're seeing from these large brands? Because I know I've looked at the Viral Nation website, your profile. You guys have worked with some uh, pretty big players, and at least my opinion beforehand was it seems like a lot of these big brands. Correct me if I'm wrong. Were really stuck on kind of the cable TV, or they were stuck on the traditional forms of advertising and it wasn't until some of the larger players started moving over to social media or it started getting a bit bigger that they started to transition so do you see like are you know coca-cola for example pepsi like these huge brands i don't know if you work with ones like that but uh what's the shift that you're that you're noticing over the years to social media are they favoring that or are they kind of doing a mix between the two? Oh yeah year over year it's grown um, as a whole in terms of how people are investing in social, but also into people like YouTube influencers. Um, the reason why, frankly, is for a number, um, a number of reasons, to be honest. Um, one of the reasons why, like if we flat, if we go back, um, if we rewind five, six years and we go to 
a brand like Coca-Cola and we say, hey, Coca-Cola, give us 10% of what you're spending for TV and billboards and let's test it with a guy that makes really cool Vine videos. They would have laughed you out the boardroom, right? <laughs> now it's a much different narrative. Frankly, it's because when you're working with influencers and when you're working with people like you, Tim, it's, it's again, it's about how do we build connections with who our audience is and, and how do we go where our audience is already at, right? And that's why influencer was so powerful for them, but also because it's trackable. How do I know if I pay, if I pay 25 grand or 30 grand tomorrow for a billboard, how am I ever going to track the consumer journey to the point where I can, I can attribute ROI back to that billboard? It's virtually impossible, especially when you're running five different other marketing channels at the same time. So with everything that brands are doing with influencers, with social, with digital, it's trackable, it's measurable ROI. And it's something that you can continue to optimize because frankly, there's so much more data at your disposal. So I think as the years continue and this industry continues to mature, which it has a lot to do, brands are just going to be allocating a larger, larger chunk of their budgets, their, year, their annual budgets towards places like social, towards places like influencer, and of course, digital. But frankly, they've already been doing this for a couple years now. I think what we're going to see in, from a marketer level and like from your level is that firstly, you're going to get a lot more deals, Tim, which is good news for you. <laughs> Secondly, they're going to be much cooler deals. So you're going to find companies that otherwise wouldn't have even thought about working with you coming to you and saying, knocking at your door and saying, okay, how much do I have to pay to get an integration or a dedicated video for me type thing? Um, so I think just year over year, it's going to grow just like it has been for the past five or six. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think a big thing you brought up is the analytics, right? Like being able to track and even just getting down to like, where did this user click off, right? Like, okay, do they get to the landing page? Do they get here? Do they click the link? And I would assume for a company like you or a guy like you, uh, that makes your job a little bit easier because what you can say is, hey, look, you know, we spent, you know, 50 grand on this channel with these influencers. You can see exactly how many leads we generated, exactly how many conversions. Uh, right. Whereas, like you said, I mean, think about the Super Bowl commercial. Sure, millions of people are seeing it. But that's more of just a branding play, in my opinion, than it is really you know, driving sales. And I would say, especially for smaller companies, I'm not sure how many smaller brands you guys work with. I think that's a big deal because they might not have the marketing budgets to do something like a huge billboard, right? They, they just want to kind of test out the product. And I know like I've taken some brand deals that are like 50 bucks, a hundred bucks when I was smaller for them, you know, that's a little experiment. They get to try it out. They get to yeah, test yeah. where I don't think they can really do that in, in traditional marketing. I mean, I don't know how much a TV commercial costs uh, to do, but must be crazy amount uh but you can't you know you can't really afford to be experimenting with something like that so right but like to like you know what's also interesting too tim is that yes it's trackable but sometimes with influencer marketing you're sometimes put in a, a strange position where attribution in terms of success can sometimes drop off in in a weird way so like i'll give you an example let's say i'm a youtuber and i make a video or i make my an integrated sponsored post on my channel and promoting a, a mobile app or a mobile game right what happens is, yes, some of my audience may say, okay, cool, I wanna download this game, let me click the link in this description. What otherwise also happens is that people can go into, like they'll watch my video on their laptop and then organically go on their phone and download the game. And then in that case, we lose that attribution, right? So it's tough to measure that. So it's just easier to measure with influencer, but sometimes you fall into the same issues that you would with more traditional levels of advertising. Um, but it's just, the propensity for that happening is much lower than it would be with something like influencer or social, um, again, because of the data. 
but also because like what we need to think about too, Tim, is like when I'm running a TV commercial, what do I need for that? I need a creative team. I need a strategy team. I need a media buying team. I potentially need an agency. You know how much that costs in payroll? Like that's expensive. Oh, that's really expensive. With influencer, it's kind of like their influencers are your production team. They are your, they're your media team. They're your distribution team, right? So like, it's kind of all in one, right, Tim? Because we have to think about this too, is like, I think a big misconception, especially with brands that work in, in spaces like yours, is that we're going to use a guy like Tech with Tim as our broadcaster. We're going to use them as the guy that's going to drive traffic to our lander and drive sales, hopefully, right? Mm -hmm. But what, you have to look at the extended media value of what you do too, Tim. So like, you're not just driving traffic to places, but you're also creating amazing content. You're driving conversation in your comment section around their offering. They're, you're bridging education gaps because you're educating your audience on their product or, or their offering, right? So like with influencer, you're not just hitting the awareness, but you're hitting the conversion and the acquisition. You're hitting the share of voice element of people's objectives, which is why this is such a lucrative channel for people now. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing that you brought up at the end that I hadn't really thought about, right? I mean, obviously the production costs and stuff, but the fact that too, right? I have brands that they want me to make the uh, the thing, right? And that's not only because that's not because they can't do it. It's because they want my voice, they want my creative, right. they want my connection with the audience, which exactly. you can't just get, right? So that's a really good point that you brought up is that not only am I, you know, the one displaying the message, but I'm also kind of creating it in my own sense too. And in fact. The brands that I like working with a lot are the ones that give me free range to do that, that say, hey, you know, we trust you. These are kind of the things we want you to hit, but, you know, you know your audience better than we do, so go ham, right? And that is the ones, the partnerships that have done very well for me um, in terms of income, but also just for them to, in retention because, you know, they know that I know what to say to the audience um, to, to make sure they like the product. And I also think that it's nice too for me at this point because I get to be very selective in the brands that I work with and I can work oh, yeah. with brands that I really do believe in that I want to show my audience that I would use myself, right. right? Because I think it does become a little disingenuous sometimes and we see this in the space when, you know, if I'm this this channel and I start advertising mobile games, right? Like, okay, I, I can do that, but is that the connection that like, are, is my audience into that? Does it make sense to have that there? Um, yeah, I think a lot of people make that mistake early on. I know I did personally, um, and I, you know, we've talked. I've talked with you about branding and stuff over LinkedIn. Right, right. Yeah, and some brand deals. And I know I was. I think it's a big struggle for a lot of people early on is trying to figure out how do I balance income and in my image, right? Almost their own brand image. And something that I realized very quickly is that it's not just about you know generating the money, but it's how do I look at the end of the day, right? How is my brand being affected by this in the long term? Which, which is a big deal in that I wish I had figured out earlier, quite frankly. Right. Like, Tim, it's like you turning around and promoting Fashion Nova and stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It exactly. makes no sense for what you're talking about. And frankly, like, again, you have to think about your brand, right? So in order for you to remain effective with your audience, you, you have to consistently remain authentic with your content and with the partnerships that you build, right? Um, it's a very different space, right? And Tim, not to hate on you, you're not a model, right? Like you'll never be able to do a fashion Nova ad just because that's just the, not the nature of your content. So, and also that's a good point too, is that like the influencers that are doing it right are the ones that are being selective about the deals that they take, because ultimately it's really, it's really tough to grow your audience, but it's really easy to lose them too. Really easy. So 
that's kind of the methodology that we've always gone into, which is how do we tell real stories with the influencers that we're working with? How do we have them build a narrative that's super genuine with their audience? And then that's when we'll see results. Yeah. I mean, couldn't have said it better. That's yeah. That's what I've realized. And I think, you know, nothing against the influencers that aren't doing it right. I think it's something you have to learn, right? And you're going to make those mistakes. And in the early days, you're going to work with a few brands you wish you didn't. But, you know, anyone out there that's listening, I would really encourage you if you're, you know, starting a YouTube channel or monetizing to really be selective. It's not worth the short-term gains of, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks to sacrifice, you know, the longevity of your brand and your image and potentially lose some long-term customers or, you know, viewers that have been with you for a long time. Right, right. Yes, so that's interesting. Um, okay, so last thing I wanted to ask you, uh, we talked a little bit about the younger generation and, and the kids. I saw this stat. I don't know if this is correct, uh, so don't quote me on this one, but it says 75% of children ages 6 to 17 want to become influencers. Now, that was from The Sun. I have no idea what country that's referencing, likely the United States. What do you think when you hear something like that? And do you are you encouraging people to you know kind of dream of being influencers or, or getting into that space like would you encourage someone who's 15 to start a youtube channel i'm biased to be yeah, honest with I him know. like we're both gonna be biased of course about- yes if you were to ask a guy like my dad he'll say you're an idiot and go to school yeah but like when you ask guys like us like if a 15 year old comes up to me and says i like my number one goal is to be a youtuber or an influencer i'll be like that's pretty cool to be honest with you I think that's really cool. I don't think it's something that's worrisome, to be honest with you, Tim. Like, people are exploring non-conventional career paths now. It's just the nature that we're, it's the world that we're in, right? And frankly, I feel like where it is going to be concerning is when it is because the influencer effect, right? So when we think about influencers and we think about consumers and their psychology and how they view influencers, they're the new wave of celebrity right they're not as exclusive as celebrities because it's really easy to engage with influencers but their lifestyle and like the cars and the chain the you know the the designer stuff like you're building this aesthetic where it's super aspirational right to almost anybody so that's like what might be a massive motivator and in that case i would say that yes it's a little concerning because frankly if every single person in the world wanted to be an influencer it would be really tough to be an influencer of course yeah right just because of saturation and stuff like that. Not to say it's not already saturated, but imagine if it was even more. Um, it would be just that hard to get noticed. But like, I just think, I think it's cool because being an influencer at, on social, it's much more than just cute selfies and clever captions, especially with the work that you do, Tim. It's about giving people the chance to explore their creativity and share it with people that are also like-minded. So for me, it's something that's honestly, it's exciting from both the consumer level because we're never going to run out of entertaining content ever because everybody wants to do this and people are going to keep making content. But secondly, it's also really cool because when we look at this from like more of like an influencer economics thing, people always ask me, hey, is influencer marketing as a marketing channel becoming saturated because people are investing too much in it or people are using the same influencers over and over again and like, Frankly, I disagree because of because of that study, actually, because kids these days do not want to be doctors. They don't want to be lawyers. That stuff's boring and it's old and it's too traditional for them. They want to be influencers. They want to be Instagram models. They want to be TikToks, TikTok stars. They want to be YouTubers. I think it's really cool as long as they're in it for like the right reasons, if you know what I mean. So like, course, frankly, yeah. the reason why I started, the reason why I, I'm here today and, and talking to you about this type of stuff is just because I love playing Call of Duty and talking shit uh, like you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Kind of, that's kind of like 
why I'm even here. So I just think it's interesting. I think that um, it, it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It just depends on the way you look at it, I guess. Yeah. And that's, I mean, what I want to bring up and we'll, we'll end it shortly here, Gabe, but uh, was that I think being an influencer, it, it gets put in this light where, you know, you're famous and you're walking around and you have the Gucci sunglasses. It's very different. And I mean, look at someone like me, look at someone like you, for example. I mean, you're an influencer in some sense, right? There's very different avenues and ways to take it. And I think that if people are looking at influencers in the right light, like you were saying and saying, you know, I want to build a community. I want to give back. I want to express my vision. And the great thing for me is that by doing this, the community I've built has benefited me greatly. I learn about things that I never would have seen before. I have comments from right. people saying work on this, work on that. Right. Um, like the self-improvement is huge and the community is, is really rewarding. Um, and I think that's a good point that you brought up that really, if you're looking into being an influencer, Think about why you want to do it. Do you want to be famous? Do you want to be a superstar? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, really. But there's also other ways to take it, right? You can be an influencer that never shows their face, right? You can do so right. many different things online. And the only thing that worries me about the kid thing is that I feel like a lot of the the reasons people want to do it is because of that fame, which makes sense, obviously, the light it's been shown in. But I think that if more people get into it but take it in, in those other avenues that we see all these other people doing, that it could be a really cool thing. And the last thing I want to leave off with here is, you know, in five to 10 years, do you see it being a normal thing? Because right now I'd say it's not many people, you know, run YouTube channels or social media platforms very seriously. Do you see it being a normal thing um, for someone to have that? Like, do you think it would be expected that you have, you know, a YouTube channel or you have uh, a Twitter, or you have all these platforms and you're actively engaging the audience? Um. I don't think it's going to be like a social standard or like a social construct. Yeah. I, frankly, it already has been. So I'll give you an example. If I'm at, um, if I'm at a convention um, or I'm at the bar and I'm talking to somebody and I want to connect with them, I'm not always going to ask for like their number or like their business card. I'm going to connect with them on Instagram or LinkedIn. Right. So that's where we connect. That's where everybody comes together anyways. So is it going to increase and is it going to be kind of a, a mandatory or almost like a mandate amongst kind of society? Absolutely. That's the direction that it's going in. And that's how it's going to stay for a long, long time. I think, though, when it comes to longer form content like YouTube, like Facebook content, like LinkedIn, there has to be real motivation behind stuff like that, because you're not just posting cute selfies on Instagram. You really have to put in time. So I think that people are going to be the propensity for growth in terms of influencer and like the supply of influencers on social especially on a platform like YouTube, I think it'll grow, but I don't think it's going to be the new norm. Um, I think what's interesting to see is like how influencer on YouTube in particular has impacted different industries, like the auto, uh, the automotive industry. We do a lot of work with, you know, massive car brands and they spend a lot on guys like Doug DeMauro sure, and those yeah. auto guys that are like the heroes in those spaces. And then also teachers too, believe it or not. So teaching is going to be interesting and e-learning is going to be interesting to see how that develops on YouTube and putting out free educational content just like you have, but in a more formalized way. Now picture this, uh, Tim. What if a school like, um, what school do you go to again, Tim? Sorry. Uh, you Ottawa. Ottawa, okay. What if U of Ottawa says, okay, we're going to take our comp side professor, we're going to make him an influencer on social. We're going to put all of his course material for free on social. And then we're going to extract value out of them later. Right. So yeah. you got to think about it that way too. Like, I think that's where a lot of people are heading to be honest with you. Yeah. And that's interesting with the education. Cause I mean, we'll, we'll see. I truly believe that this pandemic has just sped up what was coming, which is, you know, kind of the move to online learning and e-learning. Um, 
and I think it's cool. Yeah, the nice thing about online education is that you know you can pause, you could fast forward. You don't like this guy, you can watch someone else. So it's gonna be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but Gabe, I think we're gonna wrap it up here, man. I've had a great time. It was nice to catch up with you, and hopefully we can do this again soon. But uh, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely, and and it's a pleasure for sure, man. Best of luck moving forward, despite you know the circumstances and everything. But yeah, super cool to have me on, man. What a pleasure and what a cool conversation. Awesome, man. All right, see you guys.